Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field. Fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. It's uncanny how timely those words are, huh? You know, when we planned the series weeks ago and we picked out the clips, uh, we never could have known that this week, when we're watching Remember the Titans and watching these clips specifically, you know that we would have two more police shootings uh, where a couple black men were killed by white police officers. Very highly public, questionable circumstances. Uh, we don't know if it was race-motivated or not, but certainly the shooting in Dallas was uh, when a black shooter targeted police officers, killing five, wounding seven others, making it the deadliest day for U.S. law enforcement since 9-11. You know, this week, uh, man, I don't know about you, but I, I was exhausted by the end of the week. Like, I, I don't know how to process this stuff. And I, and I was talking with uh, some black friends, and they were sharing with me just what these kind of events do to their psyche and to their family and how they raise their kids and how it's affected their lives uh, along the way and, and also had conversations. You know, and so they're, they're exhausted. They're frustrated. They're a lot of things, you know. And I also had conversations with, with friends in law enforcement, including people who are a part of this community. Uh, saying the same thing, you know, that they're exhausted, they're frustrated every time something like this happens. They become negatively associated uh, with all of this. It has a direct, a direct effect on their daily lives. And, you know, and, and so I'm just processing all of this and watching this take place. And it's crazy seeing these clips, you know, because I'm looking at the news and I'm watching the Twitter feed and literally seeing influential figures in our country saying that what's happening right now reminds them of the 1970s. You know, the unrest and the turbulence and the tension. And so as a, you know, as a pastor um, and somebody who has a small platform, I, I feel a responsibility just to say a couple things to address it. And, and hopefully just these three simple truths we can rally around and most, if not all of us, will agree with them. You know, and one is that violence is not the answer. Hopefully we can agree with that. You know, Jesus said, uh, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Right? Violence just begets more violence. Death just begets more death. You know, we serve a God that when we look at Jesus, did not take human lives to prove a point or to save himself or anything like that, but instead laid down his life to save others. You know, and so the way of Jesus and the way of kingdom is not, is not a violent one. You know, so as we seek to move forward together as a church and as a country, violence uh, cannot be, is not the answer. Number two, uh, police are not the enemy. And I, get it, I feel like I need to say that out loud because there is a narrative in certain circles that I'm hearing. And it's lumping all police officers and law enforcement 
together as the ones who are doing everything, that they're all in it together, that they're evil and wrong. And uh, that's, just, that's just not a fair judgment to make. I, truthfully, I, I believe that the vast majority of men and women in law enforcement are honorable people who truly want to serve and protect their city and this country. And the truth is, in every single profession, you have people that make mistakes. And I don't know about you, but my profession does not involve the kind of stress that law enforcement involves. And I don't have to make decisions every single day in a split second where the result could be the difference between life and death. And the truth is, in every profession, including my profession, there are bad apples. There are people that have no business being in that profession. And sadly, in law enforcement, the stakes are just a lot higher, and there's a lot more people watching. You know, so as we move forward, it just would not be fair or true to view police as the enemy. And then the last thing I would say that I hope we can rally around, and it feels crazy that I have to say this in 2016, but I feel like I need to, and that is that every life matters. Every life matters, you know, and, and it, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. You know, uh, the Daily Show had a great clip when they were talking about this, how it's crazy how in America, you know, when you take a stand on something, it's almost like you inevitably, it's, it's assumed that you're against the other side. So when you hashtag Black Lives Matter, right, some people assume, oh, you don't care about police lives. Or if you hashtag Blue Lives Matter, well, then you must hate black people which is not true because it's very possible to both care about black people and to care about police. And the truth is, that's exactly what we should all do, right? And so every life matters. So if you agree with that, can we just, can I hear you? Yeah, okay. All right. All right, so this morning, what I want to do is not not talk about race uh, the whole time. We're not going to key in on racism specifically But what I do want to talk about, what is really greatly portrayed in the film, is this idea of judging others. And I think, you know, for most of us, we watch stuff like this and we watch the news and it blows our minds because we can't comprehend judging somebody based solely on the color of our skin. You know, like we thought that ship had sailed. Like, how is this happening? And I think most of us can get on board with that. But when it comes to judging others, what about judging others, you know, on the basis of their socioeconomic status or judging somebody based on uh, their beliefs? or judging them based on their sexuality, or judging them based on their past, or judging them based on their present actions, right? Where's the line, right? And is there one? You know, and so to talk about that, I want to I open up the scriptures and at first look uh, at a, a, a very, what I would, I would suggest is probably the most popular passage amongst non-Christians to quote, and definitely one of the most popular passages uh, for Christians as well. And so these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 that we're going to read. And this is something that uh, he, he said in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. And it is this. And actually, why don't we read this together? Ready? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Right? And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Right? Like, this is an idea uh, that we can really get behind. In fact, if you're not a Christian, like, people, they don't even believe the Bible, but they believe this verse, you know? Very, very passionate about it. Uh, we love this verse. And he goes on. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, right? And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? And I would suggest this may as well be like our generation's life verse, right? You don't have any business judging me, you know what I mean? Like, who are you to to judge me, right? I'll I'll do what I want to do with my life. You do what you want to do with your life. And as long as we're not hurting anybody, let's just be cool with one another, right? Who are you to judge me? You're a sinner too, Right? And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm happy and it's not really hurting anybody. 
Right? This is, this is, I, would, I would suggest, and I've suggested this before, and I don't think it's changed, that if we have a universal cultural value, it's this. It's tolerance. Right? It's tolerate everything. It's one of the reasons that these things that are happening in the news that continue to happen in our country just blow our minds and cause so much unrest is we're about tolerating, tolerating every lifestyle, every belief, uh, every action, right? It's the coexist bumper stickers that you see everywhere. Like, let's just be cool with one another and agree to disagree, right? And, of course, if you don't believe me, uh, just go practice intolerance in a, for a little bit this week, you know, and see how people react. Uh, we're very, very tolerant uh, of everything except for intolerance. Do not judge or you too will be judged. I think that is an idea uh, that most all of us can get on board with because the truth is, it sucks to be judged, doesn't it? Like, just out of curiosity, how many of you at one point in your life or another have either been wrongly or unfairly judged by somebody? Yeah. It stinks. It hurts. Nobody likes it. Believe it or not, sometimes pastors get judged. Right? I know that's shocking to you, but sometimes it does. Right? Recently, I was out running errands, and I had my I Love My Church t-shirt on. Uh, from a few years ago, and pe- you always get like a mix of reactions. Uh, some people give you a weird look. Most people just try to avoid eye contact when they see that shirt. But I was walking, running errands, and this guy goes, hey, I love your shirt. What church do you go to? You know, I was like, oh, I, I go, I'm a part of Mosaic. And uh, he got really serious. His whole demeanor changed. And he goes, oh, that's not good. And I was like, why, why is that not good? And he said, well, my pastor says that your pastor doesn't preach the Bible. So I said, well, you can tell your pastor that our pastor will meet him in a dark alleyway anytime. No, I didn't say that. I wanted to say that. Right? It stinks to be judged. Uh, nobody likes being judged. And it's no secret that hyper-judgmental Christians have been more damaged, have cre- done more damage uh, then we can possibly begin to describe or measure, right? Those hypocritical, bigoted, judgmental Christians who think that their life's calling, right, is to sit in judgment over the rest of the world. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. So my question is, what did Jesus really mean by that? That's our task. But what did he really mean? Did he, does, is he saying that for those of us who follow after Jesus, that we are never to exercise judgment uh, in any kind of form, right? It's a really, it's a really important question, right? And so I want to play this out just a little bit, right? So what, what about a teacher who is a follower of Jesus? Do they have the right to judge, right? When I was in high school, I remember uh, one night, I forgot that I had a paper due the next morning, so I did what most high schoolers do. I crammed, just did a really horrible paper, turned it in the next morning, hoping the teacher wouldn't notice. The next day, he said, Aaron, I loved your paper, uh, the language was beautiful, and I had no idea where you were going. But uh, then I realized neither, neither do you, because you never got there. Uh, and so you, you gave me a C. You know, it, who are you to judge, whether it's an A or a C? You know, or what about a, a police officer who pulls you over for going 70 in a school zone right at 3 p.m. on a weekday? Right, who are you to judge, officer? Right, who are you to judge? What about when, uh, getting a little bit more serious, what about when an unarmed young man 12, 10, 12 years old, is shot down by a cop in what people, you know, suspect is a racially motivated crime. Like, do, we have any, do we have any right to judge? Or what about in Dallas, you know, with a systematic killing, ambush of five innocent police officers? 
Can we make a judgment call on that? Better, what about this week in Baghdad when a suicide bomber drove a truck full of explosives into a shopping district, killing over 200 men, women, and children, most of which were just shopping with their families? And ISIS claims responsibility and celebrates. Do we have a right to say that is, that is wrong? Any right to judge? Right now, I realize those are extreme examples, but let's get a little bit more nuanced then. Right, this week, my daughter Paige was playing video games online, and there's a chat board. I just happened to be sitting next to her, and I looked up, and the boys in the chat room were trying to arrange a place to meet the girls to kiss them. Right, my, my thought was like, let's go meet them. Let's set that up right now. You know, right, As a father, right, do I have a right to judge? That's not right. And get involved. Right, what if someone you love find out they are an addict? And you see the toll that is taking on their health, begins to take a toll on their relationships, right? Who am I to judge? Right? Just let them keep, live their life? Or do we have a right to judge in that moment? What about the flirty guy at work who's married? And you know he's married. He's always crossing the line and trying to hook up with single gals who work there. Do you have a right to judge in that instance? What if he's family? What if he's a part of your small group? What if he's your best friend? Does that change anything? What about sex? Right? Culture? Value, basically, you can have sex with anybody as long as it's consensual, right? No harm in that. What if somebody wants to have sex with a 12-year-old? What if the 12-year-old is your daughter? Right? Are, you, are you getting to feel like how complicated and yet how important it is that we get this right? What did Jesus mean? Do not judge or you too will be judged. Right, so we're going to look at this the same way we're going to look at every passage in this series. That is, as we try to interpret the meaning of Scripture, we're going to look at three different things. Right? One is the context. Right? That's why I'm always talking about the world of the Bible, right? the way people thought, what was happening culturally. But also, we look at the context of just understanding that Jesus did not have Twitter. Right? And, so, and there's no 140 characters, and it was a standalone thought. Right? It's a part of a, a paragraph, right? that sentence. It's a part of a paragraph. It's a part of a, a letter. Right? It's a part of a stream of thought. So what is the context? Right, and then we, then we compare it to the larger body of the biblical council. We believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. Right, if we're going to look at the whole council on this issue, what else does the Bible say about this idea of judging? Right, and then lastly, how do we apply it, which we'll be doing throughout? So first of all, let's look at the context. Right, Matthew 7 is where Jesus says this. Matthew 6, Jesus is in a stream of thought, and he keeps returning back to the same idea, and that is hypocrisy. Right, he's going after the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he's saying, look... You guys, you judge everybody. You're unkind, you're unfair, and you're hypocrites. You're doing these things, and you're judging them in this way, and it's not okay. In chapter 6, he keeps rallying back. And what we're going to find in chapter 7, he does the same thing. The context of the conversation, the theme, is hypocrisy. Right? And then Jesus says some interesting things. So in, in chapter 7, he also says this. Watch out. Be on your guard. Be aware of false prophets. Right? That implies we've got to make a judgment. How do we know that they're false who decides that? Right? We've got to make a judgment. Be aware of false prophets. Right? And then, in the immediate context of our verse, right, Jesus says, look, don't, be judged, or don't judge people or you too will be judged. The measure in which you judge people, that's going to be brought against you as well. And then in verse 3, in the same stream of thought, he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Again, he's talking about hypocrisy. And then he says something even more interesting. And he says, look, in order for you to do that, first what you should do is you need to remove that two-by-four of sin out of your own head 
And then you will be able to rightly judge and help them actually remove the speck of sawdust in their eyes. So he's actually talking about, when he talks about not judging, in the very next verse, he's telling us the way in which we ought to make judgments. Right, so what I'm hoping to convince you of in this, this morning, and you're going to see this a bunch more, is that Jesus, there's no possible way what Jesus means is that we are never to exercise discernment and never to make judgments. In fact, he's going to show us and tell us it's actually incredibly important that you do. It's a part of our call. It's a part of our responsibility. But the way in which we do it is extremely, extremely important. And so together, I want to look at four Four things that the Bible clearly teaches when it comes to judging as God's people. Number one, uh, do not judge superficially. Never judge superficially. Listen to what Jesus... This is Jesus. This this is in red, depending on your Bible. Jesus' own words, chapter 7, verse 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Boom. Let's close in prayer. You know what I mean? Like, he just said... Right? He, he says, look, this is how you're not supposed to judge, but it's incredibly important that you judge correctly. But what you cannot, 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 cannot do is judge superficially based on appearances. It's going to get you into trouble every single time. And, and let's, let's be honest, guys. Like, this is something that we all do, even oftentimes without even realizing it, all the time. Right? And so when I'm driving through town, and I'm in a big hurry, and I get stuck behind somebody from County 67, you know... <laughs> I, I judge, you know, like, uh, and sometimes those judgments make their way out of my mouth before I even know I'm thinking them, right? And I'm making judgments about this person's character, about their intelligence, you know, like all kinds of horrible things, you know, just because that's what we do. And honestly, this week, this week especially, man, I had a hard time with this. Social media and the vitriol this week was just, just awful. Things that people were saying publicly, uh, people th- that th- people that things were people the things people were saying privately, uh, public and private conversations, and, and I found in my heart at times, hearing people say things which to me sound so unloving, so ungracious, so ignorant. If I'm honest, that's where my mind is going. I'm just making all these judgments about people's hearts, you know, in, in a moment's notice. And, and I think one of the reasons it's so important we talk about this is I would suggest to you this is where our hearts naturally go. Right, as, as people who are affected by the fall in a world that has clearly fallen. Right, we are judgment machines. It's just where our mind and our heart goes. Which is, by the way, the Bible talks about this. This is so important why it's so, that we're mindful about what's going through our head. Right, this idea of taking every thought captive. Right, which is a biblical truth, something we're called to. Why would we have to do that? Well, it's because we have thoughts that need, that need to be fixed, that need to be changed, judgmental thoughts. Right, so, for example, just reflect on this with me for a second. Right, and just ask yourself where you land on this, right? So when, when there is a shooting, white officer, black man, you know, it's caught on tape or whatever, and they release it, you know, and you see the photo on the news of the white police officer who's on administrative leave, right, in the picture of a black man with cornrows who doesn't dress the way that you do, right, and doesn't pose the way that you do, like, what goes through your mind in that moment? Who, who, what kind of judgments, whether you realize it or not, where does your heart go? Who gets the benefit of the doubt? Right, it's so important. We do this. How about, how about wait? How about when you are somewhere and you are, you're in a hurry and somebody gets in the way and they're being, you know, you're just having to wait on them and they're obese? Where does your mind go? What, 
What kind of judgments do you make, perhaps, about their character or their lifestyle or their discipline or their habits? This week I had a conversation with a good friend of mine and she's struggled with her weight her entire life. She's seen doctors, she works out, she eats right, and yet she just, it's just her struggle. And recently she was at Sam's buying groceries and she stopped by one of the sample carts to have a little thing of ice cream because she doesn't keep it in the house. And some meathead in great shape and a tank top walks by and he says, you know, if you didn't put crap like that in your body, you wouldn't look like you do. Just broke her. Just broke her. Right, what is he doing? He's making a judgment based on appearances. What he doesn't know is that she's seen doctors, that she works out, that she eats healthy. What he didn't see was her cart that was full of fresh produce. Right? It's where our hearts sometimes go. How about, how about this? How about when you're out and about and you're waiting on somebody who doesn't speak the same language as you do? A mom and her kids, perhaps, and she's got a burqa on or other religious a headdress that's unfamiliar to you. Right? Where does your mind go? What kind of thoughts run through your head? Right? We do this all the time. Big issues and little issues. Judging when we don't have all the information. That rich guy, the way he lives his life, the way he spends his money, blah, blah, blah. It's like, hold on a second. Right? You, we don't know. You don't know. Right? You don't, maybe he, the, the amount of money he gives away, percentage-wise, is so much more than you. Maybe God is using him to do all kinds of incredible kingdom things in our city. You don't know. Right? Jesus says, don't judge. Don't judge by mere appearances. That gal, oh yeah, I met her. We talked once. She's a jerk. Really? Do you know that? Like you can make that conclusion based on a five-minute conversation? Would it change your mind if you knew that in the last month she's been diagnosed with cancer? It's probably terminal. Same cancer that killed her mom and her sister. Would that change? Jesus is saying appearances. You judge from a distance, you're going to get into trouble. It's not our call. It's not what we do. All right, let's apply it to the church world. Oh, well, at that church, I hear they blah, 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 blah. Oh, that pastor, oh, you know what I, you know, do you know him? Do you go there? It's like, no, 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 we don't do that. That's not our call. They're for God, they're for Jesus, we're for them. Right, even if we see things a little bit differently, Jesus says, whatever you do, don't judge by mere appearances. You've got to judge correctly. And he says, there's a lot to judge. And part of our responsibility is to judge, but to judge correctly. Never appearances, which means when we don't have all the information, as followers of Jesus, we assume the best. Right, we believe the best about people. We give them the benefit of the doubt. Right, don't judge superficially. Number two, uh, never judge hypocritically. Listen to the words of Romans 2, verses 1 and 4. It says this. It says, You may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and, and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same thing. And then listen to this in verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant, and patient God has been with you? He says, do you know how good God has been to you, how patient he's been? Why in the world are you picking them apart then? Are there things in their life that probably need to change? Yep, but guess what? There's stuff in your your life that needs to be changed as well. Then he goes on, he says, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? His kindness, I love that verse. doesn't get a lot of airplay. Right, I love that. He says, don't, don't judge hypocritically. And here's, here's the thing. And, you know, uh, Craig Rochelle is one of my sources this morning. And, and, and he said something that I, that I read that I thought was so spot on. He said, here's the, here's the problem with our hearts, where we go oftentimes, is that we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. 
right? We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but we don't do the same with others. I, I can't remember where I read it for the life of me, but I remember reading, you're talking about what ends up happening oftentimes is we judge other people based on their actions, what they do and don't do. But we judge ourselves based on our intentions, right? So they do something and screw up, and where our heart often goes is there's their true colors finally coming out. Right? How could I ever trust or follow that person? How could I ever be friends with that person? You're seeing right there, that's the kind of person they are. But when it comes to us, it's like, oh, man, but my intentions were really good. I made a mistake, but that's not who I am. Right? If you knew the whole story, uh, you would understand. Right? And, and, and I would also even say this, uh, and this is something that I've, see, I've seen over and over and over again, especially in my line of work, is that oftentimes where we are the harshest judges... It's connected to our deepest weakness, oftentimes. Right? It's, it's striking a chord in us, and that chord is connected to something. You know, so in my line of work, I see this, I see this all the time, too often. Right? So, so a number of years ago, there was an evangelical leader. He's a pastor of a huge church, president of the Evangelical Association of America. Uh, he was one of the spiritual counselors to the president in the White House at that time. Right? Very influential figure, but he was always railing on homosexuality. Always. It's like his theme music just going off. And, and, and many people wrote about it and observed it. It's like, what's with this guy and this issue? Right? None of us should have been surprised when he lost his ministry because he was caught in a hotel room with a, a male prostitute. Right? He's railing on his own stuff. Right? In Jesus' words, he's condemning, he's condemning himself. Right? Just a couple years ago, another pastor I'm closely connected to, he's had a huge influence on my life. I believe that he has a good heart, but like all of us, he has issues. And some of those issues were never dealt with. And he's always, he's always harping on, you know, submitting to the authority of the local church, submitting to your pastor, right? They have authority. Submit, submit, submit. Well, come to find out, he couldn't submit to anybody, didn't listen to anybody, lost his whole ministry, right? And, and again, it's, it's showing us something, which, and this is telling, like, this should light us up a little bit, because what it means is when your heart lights up and you just feel a need to rail on somebody about something and judge them harshly, you need to stop and look in the mirror. I know I do this. Right? When I get the most angry and I just flippantly start judging people, I've got to stop and look in the mirror because it's connected to something in here. And it's not pretty. Right? Jesus says, look, be careful. When you judge others like that, you're condemning yourself. Right? So we, ne- we never judge as Christians superficially. We never judge hypocritically. Number three, this is so important. We never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Never. Never, never, never. In fact, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.12. I love this. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? It's not my business. In other words, if they're not followers of Jesus, what right do I have to try to tell them how to live their lives? Right? What right do I have to, to expect them to live in a Christian way when that's not something they've signed up for? Right? And it's just got to say this. I know most of you know this. I know this is our heartbeat as a community, but I'm going to keep saying it. Our job is not to be the world's sin police. And I say because sometimes it, it seems like some of us think that. Not necessarily in this room. I certainly hope not. But doesn't it seem this way? You know, our job is not to walk around and be like, don't drink so much. Probably shouldn't watch that R-rated movie. Probably should lay off the weed. Oh, no filter on your browser. Hmm, that's interesting. Right, should you really have another drink? You know, should you really watch that R-rated movie? That's not, not, not our job. Paul says, what business is it of mine to, to judge other people outside of the church? In other words, if they're not a part of the family of God, what business do I have holding them to our family's standards? Right, and in our house, like, we've got certain standards. We've got certain rules that are just 
unique to our home, certain shows that we don't watch, don't allow our kids to watch, certain words that we don't use. Right? And our kids learned really early that that's not universal. We have kids in our homes from the neighborhood, and they watch things, they say things, you know. And I remember early on, like, our kids would freak out because they'd say one of the forbidden words, you know, like crap or whatever, you know. And uh, they, they would be like, oh, you know, we're like, no, hold on. <laughs> it's not that they're a bad person, you know. It's not that their parents are horrible parents. We just have different standards. This is our family, right? And we have no right to hold that family to our family standards, Right, and that's the idea that Paul is getting here. Right, we don't play judge. We don't play judge the people that are outside the family of God. Right, and I don't have to tell you the kind of damage that happens when we miss this truth. Right, we can't even begin to measure the amount of damage that's done by, by Christians who, who... I mean, if you, if you don't believe me, man, just, I challenge you this week, have a kind, humble conversation with somebody who's not a part of a church, maybe doesn't believe at all, and just ask them what stands in the way of them believing or connecting to a church. And I think you'll find what I found over and over and over again, and that is that their problem generally is not with Jesus. It's with us. It's with his people. Right? It's, it's the way we act, you know. Uh, it's the judgment. It's a lack of kindness. It's the way we interact with each other on social media. Right? It's the harsh and unloving words. It's the lack of lack of grace. And if I'm really honest with you, this is a big reason why we started this community in the first place. And don't get me wrong, there's some great churches in Lincoln. There really are. Pastored by great people, full of great people, but there's far too many or too few places in our city that are safe for people who don't believe, for skeptics, for people that have bottomed out, for people that aren't sure they buy any of this. A place where they can belong before they believe and push back and journey and be embraced and loved for who they are, not for, the, for who they're not. You know, and that's our, that has always been our heartbeat of the church, and, and, it, and it always will be. And it's our heart because that was Jesus' heart. It was. Jesus was with people all the time. He was called a friend of sinners. He loved being with them. They loved being with him. And the thing is, Jesus was the one that changed their life, not other people. Right? And our, our job is not to try to change every person's life who is not a part of our church. That's God's job, right? And it's certainly not to judge them. Outside the family of God, all the judging is in God's hands, right? Our role is to love them well and point them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's the thing. Paul isn't done, though. He lays that out, but he says something else, right? He says, what business of mine to judge people outside the church? But then he says this, are you not to judge those inside? There's the rub. Right, there's the thing that conflicts with our idea of tolerance. Right, and what Jesus, and I hope you're getting this by now, what Jesus definitely was not saying in Matthew 7 is that we never have a right to speak into each other's lives, to encourage and to challenge one another. In fact, what becomes clearer and clearer is that that's actually a big part of our calling and responsibility uh, in following Jesus. He says, look, as believers, we're family. We're family, right? We're together on this. As iron sharpens iron, we are to sharpen one another, right? We're to, we're to <clears throat> probe one another, spur one another towards good works, to lovingly encourage and to lovingly challenge one another because let's be honest, that's what families do, right? Some of you know when my younger sister, Rachel, was a teenager, she was, uh, she was dating a much older man and he was trouble. 
He had been in and out of jail his entire adult life. He had no regard for the law. He was constantly carrying firearms for which he's been arrested a number of times. He was also uh, dealing meth, and he beat the tar out of my sister on a regular basis. And he got my sister on meth as well. You know, and as her brother, as her family member, I'm watching this take place. And we can see it. You know what I mean? I mean, she's not well. She ends up getting deathly sick. She runs away. We're searching for her for weeks. You know, and we finally get her back. And, and I mean, we're just at all, trying to figure out what to do. You know, and so you tell me in that moment, what's the loving thing to do as her family? Right? Is it to look the other way and be like, hey, it's not my job to judge. She's going to live her life the way that, you know, she's going to live it. I'm going to live my life the way I'm going to live it. And we'll just be fine with each other. I don't think that's it. I think the loving thing to do in that situation is to sit down and lovingly plead with her. You're making bad decisions and you have to get out. You have to get out of this relationship. You have to get off meth. Or you've got to make some changes. Because that's what family does. You know, by God's grace, she did. She, he went to jail for a long time. She got out. She got off meth. And God has changed her life. Praise God. Right? But not if there's not a loving conversation. Not if the family doesn't intervene at some point. Right? That's, 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 that's our call. To give it and to receive it. And lastly, lastly, I'd say this. Number four. As we talk about judging. Right? We always help restore fallen believers. Always, always, always. That is always our goal. Right? Our end game in judging matters greatly. Right? And restoration ought to be the goal. When we judge, pass judgment with each other, the goal should always be to build each other up, not to tear each other down. Right? And when somebody crashes and burns, we don't, we don't spit on the fire. Right? We, we, we get a hose. You know, we, we do everything we can to, to, to help that person back up and walk with them through the slow process, the slow process of healing. The goal is always to restore. Listen to these words in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a, in a what? In a sin. It's not very politically correct. Right? But for those of us are, who are in the family, right, we do have a call. Right? And it's really clearly laid out for us, a lot of it in scriptures. And when something is clear, and we have a brother or a sister who is running in full-fledged rebellion of that, we have a responsibility, and we call it sin, even though it's not politically correct. And we do it in love, by the way. And again, who is he talking to here? He's talking to brothers and sisters. This is an in-family conversation. Right? This, is con- this, is, this, is, this is within the family. And he writes this. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you, you who live by the Spirit should kick them while they're down, parade them in front of other people, Shame them, shoot them while they're wounded. No, 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 no. Those of you who live by the Spirit ought to restore that person gently. Gently. Right? With the same kind of grace that you would want in that situation. Right? With the same, the same kind of love that you would want in that situation. With the kind of grace and love that God showers on you every single day. That's what we pay forward. Right? That's the way that we restore. And I love what he says in verse 2. He even expands on this. He says, do this. Carry each other's burdens, right? When they're on their face and they've hit rock bottom and they, yes, they failed you and they betrayed you and they sinned and they acted in a way that is unchristian and we all know it. In that moment, 
carry each other's burdens. Help pick them up again. Take the weight off their shoulders as much as you're able. And it says, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. All right, whenever we do judge, our end game matters. And it's never to hurt one another. It's never out of anger, cut each other down. It's always with the goal of restoring and building one another up. All right, and there's one other passage. I've got a, a story that I won't read for time's sake. And I think we're all sweating in here, right? Amen? Yeah? Um, but this is a really important verse that we just kind of end up circling back to as a community because it's just that important. And this is what we read in John 1.14. How do we do this, this whole thing? How do we do it? How do we have these conversations? How do we pass judgment? It says this, right? The Word became flesh. That's Jesus. And He made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Right? Real love always looks like both. Grace and truth. All grace and no truth is not love. That's, that's the tolerance we're talking about. Hey, whatever you do is fine. It's cool with you. It's cool with me. If it makes you happy, it's not hurting anybody. Just do whatever you're going to do. Right? That's not loving. Right? Neither is truth without grace. Right? Even if what you say is full of truth, but you're, there's no love in it. There's no grace. You're still wrong. Right? It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. Right? Because God is love, and love always looks like both. All right, let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Lord God, I, I thank you for the people in my life, in this church, and along the way, who practice grace and truth with me. Right, who have the hard conversations in love to help me, to build me up, the goal of restoring me so that I can walk more faithfully with you and not shipwreck of my life with sin. And Lord God, I, I think I can say in a room this size that there's probably a number of people here uh, that you know tend to err on one side or the other some people who they know in their life that there are friends, people in the family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and they see them making decisions that are, are not good. And it's not going to end well if nobody intervenes. It could really be bad. And in this moment, Lord, I ask that you would spark something in their heart and affirm that a conversation in love needs to happen with the goal of building them up picking them up, helping them avoid disaster. I'm also guessing in this room there's probably others of us who tend to err more on the truth side. And somewhere along the way, we spewed a lot of truth, but it was not in love. It was not gracious. And we hurt some people, hurt somebody along the way. And Lord, in this moment, I ask that you would also spark in their heart that something needs to be done by that, about that. And maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a text message, a phone call. Maybe it's getting coffee. But real love always looks like grace and truth. I thank you for that in my own life. And I thank you for that in this community. It's one of the greatest blessings of my life, being able to watch a community who works so hard to love other people well, but also leans in and looks at your word candidly and talks about it candidly and engages even the hard issues as we seek to do so lovingly.
Lord God, I ask that you would continue to make us into that kind of a people, a community that is marked not just by grace and not just by truth, but by both. Help us to judge correctly, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.